one thing that always surprises me when you talk about matters of scale is oh. it's you would think that it would sort of be a linear progression, right? But that's usually not how it it's works. Not what usually, no, yeah. it's usually it just is like, all right, you're chugging along, chugging along, and all of a sudden it's like that one extra request <laughs> yeah. that breaks the camel's back <laughs> and like it hockey sticks up, right? Yes. It just shoots up. And it's like, oh, it's not it went from being okay, slightly sluggish on occasion to just being unusable. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Working Code with your three hosts who never make off by one errors, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. All right, guys, it's episode 129. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the great divide known as product versus supporting the product. And where does that fall? So. As you can tell, since I am bringing us in, that means Adam is not here. He is out today on some very fancy board meeting, but hopefully he'll be back next week and not too burnt out to join us. So let's kick it off like normal with our triumphs and fails. And this week starting us out is a Ben. What you got for us, man? Unfortunately, I'm going to kick us off with a little bit of a failure here. I've been feeling just very generally meh across the board, both professionally and personally. And I think as a side effect of that mehness, I'm, I'm having trouble launching into a new project. I think I had mentioned on one of the previous episodes that I'm interested in building a little fitness tracking app for myself, if for no one else. And I have it in my head and I just can't seem to pull the trigger on moving forward with it. You know, I had done a couple of months of research on some on Hotwire as a potential foundation for building the front end and I'm kind of cold on that. So now I want to go back to using Angular. And even even with that decision having been made, I'm I'm just struggling to put code on paper, so to speak, and to start moving forward. I think part of it is that the, it, I, I think I was holding in my mind that these technical hurdles were the thing holding me back. And now that I have a technical plan in mind, what I'm realizing is that, oh, I probably also need a design. And some sort of layout to the application. And then I'm going to be using it on my phone. So does it need to have a mobile layout, you know, a responsive layout that looks good on mobile and on desktop, even if I probably almost will never use it on desktop. And it's like suddenly, you know, you, you have this vision of something that could be built. And then there's the reality of all of the things that go into a project that you don't necessarily think about. And, and that's kind of hit me and I'm having trouble getting past that realization. So. But it's a true problem to think about, though, and that's where my brain goes, is the the app I use for the gym is JFit, and it's great on my phone, but I think I tried using the website one time, and it was not even usable. It yeah. was only developed to be used on a phone, so when I'm talking about wanting to build out a plan, I want to be on my monitor, and I want to have my plan right. on one side, another plan on the right, and I want to pick and choose and build my daily routine in, so... I need it to work on both. And so far, I've not been able to find an app that does that. So I think you're right to try to solve that because from what I've researched, there's not a good solve for it yet in the market. So yeah, and I think it's the the just the grandness of it that is holding me back. And when I come up across this problem at work, meaning at some large effort that I have to put into play, usually I approach that by just taking it and breaking it down into a lot of smaller problems and then just doing the work. And moving things across the Kanban board and step-by-step and step making progress. And 
I mean, I, like, that's just what I need to do. I, I think part of it yeah. is I'm so used to working in a project management system like Jira. Like, I think I need to make a Trello board just Trello, for this. Trello, so that, yeah, yes. Yeah. So that I can, I can treat it like it's an actual thing and not just. Absolutely. It, yeah. I have to get over this idea that I'm going to build it in a weekend and it's going to be done because that's just not how it's going to work. Right. And so if you're looking for suggestions, look at Asana too, because with all of my contracting stuff that I've been doing, Asana has been great for me. So with Asana, I can create different workspaces. I'm like, okay, this is my personal life kind of goals. And I can have the same kind of feel that I have with Jira, but not, and it's slightly different than Trello. Like take a look at Asana. You might like using that instead of Trello to manage it, but it gives you the ability to move things in swim lanes and gives you the right feel for what we do on day to day. Nice. All right. Yeah, I'll take yeah. a look. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen them advertised on yeah. YouTube and, and the radio and stuff. I have the free account and it's working great still. I haven't had a need to upgrade. But yeah, for me, also the the thought of like picking up a new project is that starting point is very scary. Like picking out technology, picking out where I start always intimidates me. I do a lot better when I go into a project that's already established and they say, here's problem X, Y, and Z, go solve it. And I'm like, heck yeah, that's my game. Let's go play this. But when it's like, pick out what stack we want to put this on. I'm like, oh God, I'm going to end up in analysis paralysis because I never stopped looking for other alternatives. Yo, so, yeah. so. Uh, Good luck, right. man. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah. that's me. Carol, what about you? All right, guys, I've been talking about it for, you know, going on four months now, you know, been doing some contract stuff and been, you know, doing things here and there, but I am throwing in the towel a little. I have accepted a full-time job. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks. Cool. Working for big old Uncle Sam for a minute. So I'm going to take a government job for a bit. The stability is definitely needed. The thought of not knowing what's next was getting to my brain a little. So I'm going to you know, take a job, do some work, and still have lots of time on the side to keep my stuff going and to keep building that up. And they know going into it that this is only like an interim for me. Like I just want to do this while I get everything else going. And they said they'll take whatever time they can get from me because it's people I've worked with in the past. So going to go that route and then just see what's next after it. But going to be working 40 hours for the big old government for a bit. And then, you know, some free That's time cool. still building my stuff. So excited to see where it lands and I'll keep you guys posted. Is there a particular branch of government or department that, I mean, you don't have to say anything if you don't want to, but I'm curious. Yeah, it's OPM. It's the the personnel side of, of the government. So it's Office of Personnel Management. I don't know what that is, but it sounds yeah. it sounds very people-y. It's basically how the government handles HR and how they handle hiring people, onboarding people, paying. Yeah, lots of training stuff. So it's also what got hacked a few years ago. Just <laughs> yeah, letting you know right. that. <laughs> 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 is that will they be doing any cold fusion just out of curiosity no. no no they have some cold fusion stuff but it's not what i'll be working on i'll be working on TypeScript. i'm trying to react i'll be working on view and there was one more that they're trying to go to i don't remember what it is off the top of my head so that's going to be kind of my focus for a while so yeah very exciting yeah yeah well, cool well good luck Thank you. Thank you. Yep. I'll let you guys know when I officially, officially start because I told them I was going on vacation to Disney the end of June and I needed a little time to get through graduation and moving first. So, yep. Heck yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. That's me. What about you, Ten? 
Well, it looks like all three of us have failures today. Is, yeah. <laughs> we're just we're just we're just riding the fa- struggle bus. Yeah. So my my failure and mine's not a big failure. It's just my brain hurts. I just mm. got you know oh, my, just, my my brain was just hurting today. I was trying. And I was just struggling just to, to even put thoughts together today. Just where I you know, it was a long weekend. Been doing some home projects, putting down new flooring and. You know, end of the year, so there's all this stuff going on at the school for the kids. And oh, I was about to be like, end of the year, it's July, June. Yeah, end of the May. school year. It's yeah, May. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to my calendar time. <laughs> we got we got my in laws coming from Ireland in a couple, you know, less than ten days. So it's like so much stuff just going on. So it's just yeah, my brain just hurts. So yeah, I don't don't really have anything exciting to say other than just yeah, I, I'm 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 surprised I'm even here on this <laughs> this <laughs> podcast today because. I don't know how much I'll be able to offer because my brain is just not in gear. Yeah, my husband tends to text me like how stressed out he is at work or something. I'm like, man, dude, adulting, it sucks, right? Like <laughs> These things we have to do as adults, no one prepared me for what it costs to put in new floors for your house when you're leaving right. or replacing carpet that your puppy decided to chew up during the podcast because you get in the crater one night. <laughs> like <laughs> adulting, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so. I hope your brain gets better soon. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So we ready to roll into the episode? Let's do it. So I think we're going to talk about product versus support once a product is delivered. So this being said, because one of our Patreons asked about something that Ben mentioned on episode 126, where he talked about delivery versus supporting the product, meaning that the idea that product and engineering come up with an idea of what the product should look like and what we're going to deliver. But once it hits the shelves and people start using it, usage falls back on the shoulders of engineering. So you want to dive into that, Ben? Yeah. So this is something that having been maintaining a product for 10 plus years now, there's, you get past the honeymoon phase of product development, right? In the, in the beginning, everyone's on the same page. We have a vision for what the product is going to be. We have a vision for how the product is going to be used. We've talked to some customers. They're on board. We've shown them some prototypes. They like what's going on. And then we build it. And of course, because there are budgetary and marketing deadlines, we build it, you know, in the style that gets it done, not necessarily in the best practices across the board. And I think that that makes sense in most cases, because you don't necessarily have a sense that you've proven the product, right? You want to build the product, get it into people's hands so that they can tell you whether or not it's a product market fit. So you get that version one out into the wild. And everybody's excited. The users like it. Product team likes that everyone else is liking it. And then the product team moves on and they start developing a roadmap, new features, evolutions of existing features. And the user base grows and people continue to use the product. More people continue to use the product. They continue to use it in different ways and use it to solve different problems. And suddenly the, I don't want to call it the MVP or the proof of concept, but let's just call it the version one of your software isn't necessarily holding up the way it used to, given the volume of data, the volume of requests, et cetera. And what we find, at least where I work, that solving those nascent problems of performance tends to fall on the shoulders of the engineers, that the engineers have to use the current interface for the application as the source of truth and then 
kind of below the surface, try to fix whatever performance problems might be appearing. And that's, that's very challenging because you, it's, a, it's a lot of constraints to have to live with. And I think ideally what should happen is that just as we did with version one of the product, where product and engineering and design all come together to build something, when we have to address performance issues, I feel like we need that, that co-location of minds again. We need product design and engineering to come together again to say, okay, now that we see how people are using the product, how can we evolve it in a way that is a good combination of performance and developer experience and user experience? And we just almost, I almost never see that happen. Mm-hmm. Great point. Good show. No, <laughs> I mean, accurate, right? Like it happens all the time. Like we see things get delivered. And I always think of like what my son said, like all through high school, he was like, Hey mom, C's get degrees, right? Like C's get degrees. <laughs> that, that's all that matters is I got it out there. It passed and we're good to go. Now move on to the next thing. And so often product is already allocated to working on the next mm-hmm. new thing that they don't have time. They don't have something built into their schedule that says, oh, by the way, we're releasing this. And every week for the next six weeks, like you need to block off a week to go back into what you created and make sure the team's actually able to use it. Instead, they're on to something else. And now you're just stuck dealing with it. And it's that's a challenge everywhere I've been. Like that's that's nothing that's changing from what I've saw, Tim. Mm-hmm. No, no, definitely. I mean, yeah. and then you struggle with the, is, is, you know, is what you're trying to do, is that a feature request or is that really, are you fixing a bug, right? So yep. maintenance, typically they say maintenance shouldn't be delivering new features, but sometimes it's like you've got an incomplete feature or a buggy feature. And really the only way to fix it, it is to expand the feature, right? Yep. And then products like they're, butt hurt because they're like, well, you guys shouldn't be, you know, changing the design of the product. But you know, you're you're not really I mean, it's just it seems to be the only sensible way to fix it. Otherwise, you know, it's completely broken. So you got that struggle. And then products like, well, we don't have, you know, that's not on our roadmap, right? They've already moved on to something else. I, I do think product teams should schedule in 20% of their time for technical debt. And yeah. you could sort of say that that these bug slash quasi features or technical debt that really needs to get done and have them work with, you know, they don't have to do it all, but work with you on fixing the solution because, you know, a person of maintenance or support, they might not solve the problem a way that like a system architect who designed it from the beginning would suggest, right? They just Mm -hmm. want to squash the bug. Whereas, Whereas an architect might say, well, you know, there's a change you can make on the structural side of the code that could actually solve not only this, but other issues that you might be running into. But without that conversation, it just, you're slapping band-aids on on a a problem constantly. And that's that's how you get into huge amounts of technical debt because the band-aids just compile. Yeah, the, the band-aid analogy is exactly what I thought of, is that if you don't have your product team coming in, you're going to have your maintenance and support team basically band-aiding, you know, the bleeding at the moment that it happens without really thinking back to, oh, like, maybe I shouldn't have stored this this way, and maybe I should have stored it a different way, or maybe these should be linked slightly different, where someone coming in is just going to throw in, like, 
You know, it's going to sound stupid, but let me just put an index and make it a little faster or something when in reality that data shouldn't be linked together. So getting your architects back in, getting your product team back in, like you said, that 20%, like if a product team knew that 20% of their time was allocated to a, a quote maintenance window to support what they designed, maybe they would also think through problems that they're solving a little better to up front than just kind of coming up with ideas and handing it off to the next person to support. Mm -hmm. I think also part of the issue is that at some point, the problems that you have to start solving are problems of scale and problems of scale are one, I think problems that a lot of people don't have a lot of experience solving. You know, we joke about, oh, that's a good problem to have, but the reality is it's a, it's a good problem to have because it might be a sign that the business is doing well, but it doesn't mean that it's a enjoyable problem to have. Right. right. Um, or and, to try to fix. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, I think it's one that it's, it's a type of problem that a lot of people, myself very much included, don't have a tremendous amount of experience with. And they're just not problems that are very easy to solve. And, and it's tough in the early stages of a product when it feels like you can just crank stuff out because you're taking shortcuts and the application logic is relatively simple and the volume is relatively small. And you, you get the sense that well, we can just keep doing that, but doing it in different ways. But once you hit a scale problem, you can't just rip it out. I mean, you gotta, no. you gotta really rethink the way things are architected and the way data is flowing. And it's, it's just, it's like suddenly something has to slow down and the product team is not ready for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I feel like if you hit an issue with scale, the people designing it aren't going to create a better solution second go around. Like in reality, mm -hmm. like if I create a pro, if I create an application and it can't scale, what are the chances that I can fix the scaling issue? Because I thought what I created was solid. My team thought what we created was solid. So if scaling is really the issue, then I need someone else to come look at this because what I did didn't work. And clearly I don't know how to scale this. So someone <laughs> else needs to come help me because I'm going to just break it a second go around. Like maybe I'll get you up, you know, a hundred more requests or, you know, a thousand more requests, but then we're going to need to scale again. And someone better needs to be like on this, helping me because I didn't do a good job. Mm -hmm. well, one thing that always surprises me when you talk about matters of scale is oh. it's, you would think that it would sort of be a linear progression, right? You know, you add 20% more requests and, you know, things are going to get 20% slower, but that's usually not how it it's works. Not what usually happens. No, yeah. it's usually it just, it just is like, all right, you're chugging along, chugging along. And all of a sudden it's like that one extra request <laughs> yeah. that breaks the camel's back and like it hockey sticks up, right? Yes. It just shoots up. And it's like, oh, it's not, it went from being okay, slightly sluggish on occasion to just being unusable. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you there's went, no in between. Yeah. Like we, I think Tim and I had saw this before when we we're talking about just like an application being able to print documents, right? So it went from, okay, we can print them to where if one more thing kicks off to print, suddenly you're at 98% CPU usage and yep. there's no memory left on the machine and you don't know why one more caused the problem, but we were running fine until that one hit. And, you know, there is no gradual increase to the problem. It was just there and then dead. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that with data, with data structures, yeah. you know, you, you don't, 
you know, like, oh, we'll never need to index on that. And then, <laughs> and, and, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, this query is like taking really long time. It's just slowing everything down, deadlocking stuff. And you're like, oh, you pop an index on there and like, okay, now it's better. <laughs> but it wasn't gradual. It just went from, yeah, from okay to just garbage. Well, I, a couple of years ago, I used to work with this database. We had a database manager named Brad Brewer. And he was a super great guy, and he was he was always very hands on with me, trying to get me to learn more about data structures and how databases work. And I was on this kick of looking at our slow query logs and and say, oh, you know, this query has a suboptimal index. I can throw an index on there to make it a little bit better, or you know, this query is whatever. I, I kept chasing the query log, and at one point, he pulled me aside and he said, hey, you know, query optimization is a good thing, but the way you're aggressively fixing things in the slow query log is it can actually be problematic because mm. what you're doing is essentially taking all the slack out of the rope that adding better indexes and refactoring queries, it's like your wiggle room. And what you're doing right now is you're essentially hiding the larger problem, which is that the system is not architected well. And you're squeezing as much power out of the database as possible. And what's going to happen is at some point you're going to run out of things you can squeeze. And what you're going to be left with is a poorly performing application. And you've already solved all the easy things. It's like really what we need to do is re-architect it now before it's too late. And I did not listen, (laughs) but it was a, it was a good point in retrospect. I think that he was making. Yeah. Building a glass cannon, right? (laughs) Super powerful, but fragile. Yeah. Oh, crap. But it's it's just so tough. And then sometimes as an engineer, I want to go back to the product team and I want to I want to build a a worse user experience that will lead to a better technical outcome. And and one of the examples that always pops to mind for this is that at work we have a system that allows people to create types of documents and there's four or five different types of documents and these documents all live in different systems. And as a user, you log in and you see your list of documents, and it's a single unified list. And in order to paginate through a unified list that's composed of four or five different types of things, you either have to have a, a single system that manifests all that data into a single place, or you literally have to go to five different systems on the fly and then try to pull all that data back and then try to paginate through it. And, and that can be really bad for performance. So I I'm always trying to push the product team to break things out into different types. Like, oh, let a user see, you know, a list of this type of document. Or if a different tab, you have a different type of document, a third tab for a third type of document. And literally, I only want them to do that, not because I think it's a good user experience. It's definitely not a good user experience. But I know that technically I can make that a good experience from a performance standpoint. Because I can make it perform it. Yeah. Yeah. You only have to deal with one system at a time. Like that I know how to do, that I know how to build indexes for and database structures for, but I don't know how to do it all from the same place. And uh, yeah, it's just, it, it, there's no easy way to do that. We, we actually, so we had a team at work that built that unified system that brought it all together and it, it, it took them months and months. And, it, it, and even on top of that, they still had to make a lot of concessions about the performance aspects of it. It's just brutal. I think the, the pushback you're going to get is, not necessarily a technical pushback. I mean, people can agree in principle, but it's just in practice, you know, product's job is to create new products because it generates more revenue, right? 
Yeah. You, you, you can't say, oh, we're just going to be static for the next two years and not build anything new. So, so product is always getting pushed to add new features, add new stuff, add new sources of revenue. And there's just not a whole lot of revenue available in, you know, going back and, and fixing, you know, little things here and there in a way that, a way that's good for the entire project. So yeah, we, you wind up with the support team and, and I ran a support team for a long time. It, it was kind of disheartening, right? It's like product would just throw something over the wall as fast as they could. And there's a whole bunch of problems in it. And they're like, well, you guys just clean it up. And it, we kind of felt like the janitors of the company, yeah. right? It's <laughs> like, you, you guys could build this better, but you're so pressed for time. You just, you just, toss it over to us and then we got to clean up. And a lot of times it was the same stuff over and over again. It's like similar problems. Repeating, like, yeah. This is a known thing. Don't send us this until, yeah. until and it doesn't because, you know, they're moving on to something else because another contract was signed. Yeah, they have deadlines that they can't yep. pass either because there's usually financial penalties when you do. Yep. And for me as an engineer on the other side that wasn't doing the support and maintenance, I would get frustrated when I would hear from someone else just from chatter down the road that what I did didn't work in a way. And I didn't know that because right. like you said, I just keep doing it over and over again because I think what I've created is good and this method worked and someone else fixed it behind me without telling me. And I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. So mm -hmm. it, it took away my opportunity to learn and do better because we just brushed it under the rub. So yeah. there's a there's a learning to both sides that's beneficial when you go back to product and say, this didn't work, this didn't happen, this was a problem, let's talk about it, let's re-engineer it so that it's fixed in what we're doing now. And going forward, you don't do it again because, like I said, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was yeah. sending Tim's team was broken because Tim's <laughs> team fixed it every time, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, just, it's just a lack of communication between teams, right? And that, yeah. that, that tends to be hard. It's like everyone's got their own priorities and everyone's busy. So it's like unless you have some sort of ceremony or process where those that information can get transferred, yeah. it's just going to continue to be a problem. So. I'm just happy now I have a small team. We all yeah. just talk to each other every day and there's no there's no problem. All the days. That's why it's true like postmortem's good when anything goes wrong. So you have something mm -hmm. go wrong, you're like, okay, let's do a postmortem on it and let's say everyone who ever touched this needs to be involved with it so they know why it went wrong. But that doesn't typically happen. Typically we do the sprint, we release it, we move on, and then when the post the the course, listen to me, when the postmortem happens, if there is a problem. It's like your top level people, maybe a team lead, but that doesn't ever get spread back to the rest of the team or to the people who actually wrote it. Mm, it should, but should, uh, a lot of times it doesn't. But it doesn't. It ends there because they're working on something else already. So, yeah. yeah. I, I will say, though, that I, I, I also don't want to make it seem like I want to build better solutions from the get go. I, I think that there is, I think when we build a good enough solution on day one, I do think that's the right approach. Yeah, I, I agree. You yeah. don't want to over optimize and over engineer mm -hmm. stuff. Yep. It's just that that only gets you so far and you have to go into it knowing that that'll only get you so far. 
Yeah. yeah, I truly enjoy releasing quick and releasing early and checking the adaptability of something. Like, are the users going to use this? Is this something that makes sense? And once we see that it actually makes sense for a user, then let's adjust, let's make it better. But until I get it out there and get it in their hands, it's just an idea and something that engineering and product think would be great. But you know what? Our users aren't engineers and they're not product people. They're users and they don't typically like what we like. So get it out. Even if it's a little ugly, use it and then, you know, iterate on it. Iteration's big. So what's the, what's the quote that there's only two groups of two, two industries that call their people users, drug dealers, (laughs) software engineers. I've never heard that, but that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I freaking love how easy SQL makes things. I don't know if anyone ever thinks about this, but the the SQL language as a means to pull data together oh, out of so a database, yeah. it's so freaking powerful. And I yeah. think it really allows you to get that. I hate to call it an MVP. That's called like an initial implementation. You get that initial implementation out the door and you might have queries that are joining six, seven tables. And you know that's not going to scale long term, but <laughs> yeah. oh man, it makes it so easy to to build a product from from scratch. I yeah. love it. I agree. I agree. I've always had really good experience using SQL. When I went to Oracle, I'm like, how do people write these things? There's no top. How do I get the top ten records? I have to do row number by what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anytime people would come in like out of college and on their resume, a lot of times, you know, they take an IT class, they have programming and they have different, almost, you know, a lot of times they would have no SQL, no, yeah. no database. And I'd be like, you know, go back, take some SQL core. I mean, that'd be the best thing you do for your career is get, yeah. get some good, get some good SQL, T-SQL under your belt. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, learn, learn that. Because if you learn SQL, then you can adapt into any other like database sure. language from it. Yeah. For sure. Well, I guess we solved the product support divide. Just talk to each other more. <laughs> use, 20, use 20% of your roadmap for technical debt. And yeah, good. Problem solved. <laughs> We're just kicking ass. Good show, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we know who the chatty one is, Adam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are we good to bring this home, guys, then? Hey, yeah, let's, let's do it. it. We'll, 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 we'll gift you, you listeners, a, a, an extra 30 minutes of your time. I mean, <laughs> unless you're a Patreon, then you get the after show. And it's true. It's spicy, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> so, this episode of Working Co. is brought to you by The Last Request That Broke the Camel's Back. And <laughs> listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure we can keep putting whatever this is out into the universe, you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our Patreons cover our recording costs and editing costs. We can't do this without them. And we'd like to send out a special thank you to Monty and Giancarlo. So if you want to help us out, why don't you hit us up at, at Working Code Pod. That's at Working Code Pod on Twitter or Instagram. Send over your topics or your questions, and we'd love to chat about them. You can also find us on workingcode.dev slash Discord and get in the chats with us. So that's it for this week. We'll catch you next week. Until then. Remember, your heart matters, even if you optimize all the slow queries in your crappy app. <laughs> You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. 
If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.